Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. At the height of Cold War tensions in 1983, the U.S. and the Soviet Union came closer to nuclear war than most military officials knew at the time. In fact, just two years ago in 2021, newly declassified documents revealed how close we really were, and it had to do with Abel Archer, a massive military training involving NATO and the U.S., which Soviet leaders believed to be very real at the time. Having lost over 58,000 U.S. military casualties in Vietnam in the 70s, stricken with AIDS in the beginning of the 80s, and threatened with the end through nuclear war, our country spawned some of the greatest high-tech and societal growth. The first IBM personal computer rolled out in 1981. The World Wide Web became available to the public in 1983. And grunge was born in 1984 in a city with almost half the population than it has now of 1,940,000 with the band Green River of Seattle, Washington. Members of Green River would go on to form other iconic Seattle grunge bands like that of Mud Honey, Mother Love Bone, Temple of the Dog, and Pearl Jam. Soon came other influential Seattle grunge bands including Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Sleater Kinney, Screaming Trees, and Nirvana. And the record label which popularized them all was Sub Pop, founded in Seattle in 1986. Grunge was considered a new type of rock, blending punk and metal with a layer of anger and self-deprecation and a hint of angst and anti-establishment. And rightfully so, as the Challenger rocket exploded in 1986, the USSR dissolved in 1991, the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, and L.A. rioted in 1992. The world was no longer going to take it, and for those who had a platform to voice their revolt, well, they did just that. Grunge was more than just the sludgy sound of Seattle. It became a movement, embracing everything from fashion to movies to an ideology. And it looked like oversized flannel shirts, concert and worn tees, baggy jeans, chunky shoes, oval glasses, fishnets under denim shorts, beanies, and chokers— To those who didn't understand, grunge was just plain dirty. To those who fully understood and lived it, it was upcycled and thrifted, with an emphasis on freedom and self-expression. It was a rebellion against the capitalist sense of identity and character achieved through commercial success. Perhaps one of the most pivotal grunge musicians is Kurt Donald Cobain, who was born and buried in Aberdeen, Washington. His parents' divorce when he was nine years old is said to have fueled his years of anger and emotional pain, which came out in his music. At just 20 years old, his angst spoke for everyone else's, and his music would be understood by those who weren't. He formed Nirvana in 1987 and would soon be hailed as the voice of his generation, the voice of my generation, Generation X. His wife, Courtney Love, and other sources say that Cobain suffered from irritable bowel or possibly undiagnosed Crohn's disease and had extreme stomach pain most of the time. Unfortunately, this attributed to his substance abuse and heroin addiction, which he resorted to in order to numb his pain. On October 23, 1993, at the age of 17, I stood in the crowded mosh pit in my Doc Martin combat boots in the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago staring at the in-utero stage set, awaiting the presence of a man whose voice expressed so many of the emotions I was feeling. Who knew it would be the last time I would be able to see my favorite band or hear Cobain's voice live ever again? On April 8, 1994, one month after sneaking out of an L.A. drug treatment center at the age of 27, Cobain was found dead in his Seattle home from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It was a tragic and sad day for many, including myself. Despite not wanting to be highly influential or seen, Cobain accomplished just that. He only ever cared about the music and not the stigma attached to grunge. Sadly, when he died, the grunge era died too. Ironically, the success of grunge became the downfall of it. 
Corporate music industries wanted a piece of the pie and had the money to buy it. But the whole point of grunge was to say, and say it rather loudly, we can't be bought. The Seattle scene reached its peak in 1989, and so a decline seemed natural after Cobain's death in 94. Again, ironically, the more Seattle was marketed as the place to be, the more it became like everywhere else, which further killed grunge. By the 1990s, Seattle was less of a quaint and quirky city to one booming with industries developing products on the cutting edge of bioengineering, medical technology, and computer software, all still fueled by espresso. Yet regardless of its tech boom, it was grunge which first put Seattle on the map. Interestingly, like before, when faced with the potential for death in the 80s, here we are again post-pandemic, and all of a sudden grunge fashion has returned. Yet instead of upcycled and thrifted, kids are buying the style brand new, paying upwards of $50 for a pair of worn baggy jeans, which has Cobain rolling in his grave. At the same time, technology is also getting a massive boost with rockets serving the public and AI slowly taking over. They say history repeats itself. I say people repeat themselves, and history just follows suit. Perhaps this validates the underlying theory that we are indeed influenced by forces outside of our comprehension. Today on Love From the Hip, it is my absolute pleasure to have Damon Harmon here again with us. David is a doctor of acupuncture and an astrologer. David will share what was happening astrologically during the grunge era. He will look into some of our favorite Seattle bands, including Nirvana and Soundgarden, and share more astrological insight into the 27 Club and those musicians that were gone too soon, and so much more. Stick around for more. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Has your life been interrupted? Has the carpet been pulled out from under you? Have you had to pivot, start something new, start over from scratch, or create something completely new? You're not alone. Come hear stories of others just like you. It's a brand new podcast called Interrupted Act Two Reinventing Your Legacy with Coach Lori on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. From this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit RiverAngelRanch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip, that's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. 
Today, I have the pleasure of welcome, welcoming back David Harmon on my show. David is a doctor of acupuncture and astrologer. Hey, I'm so excited to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me back, Sakura. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have your flannel on, but I don't. Eric, <laughs> well, yeah, you know. All right. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what was happening astrologically during the grunge era? Yeah. So as you were saying, there was a lot of angst, a lot of turmoil happening during this time in the probably 80s, 84, 83, that time. Uh, and when I do natal astrology, which is what I, what I usually focus on, I use mostly the traditional planets. But for this type of generational trend, it's always cool to look at the outer planets. So that's Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus. And so the first one to look at is Pluto. Uh, Pluto left Libra and entered Scorpio on August 27th, 1984. And so, and, and it stayed there until November 10th, 1995. So that's huh. basically like the, span the whole the span. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we have that happening in Scorpio. The other big thing that was happening in Scorpio was Saturn. And um, Saturn went into that sign on August 24th, 1983. And it traveled through there until November 16th, 1985. So I think these two planets are kind of the first places to start looking at the trends for grunge and its ethos and pathos and everything along with it. Yeah. Uh, when we look at Scorpio, it's the home sign for Pluto, and it's, Pluto is the, the planet of transformation, fear, darkness, dread, angst, and upheaval. And so in its own home, it has a lot of power to express these things on a collective level. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then what about Saturn? So then Saturn is a planet that's naturally slow. It's the slowest of the traditional planets. It's a heavy kind of energy that brings uh, death and decay and decline. In a water sign, the energy of Saturn is like peering into an old stagnant well at midnight. It's cold outside. <laughs> you can't see. You don't know what it's, what's at the bottom. There's probably stuff decaying in the water. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of the songs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cool because when you look at these kind of slow and heavy qualities, there's parallels with the way that critics talk about grunge music. So the words they use to describe the sound is sludgy and slow, distorted, deep, yeah. dirty, that kind of thing. And also bleak, miasmic, narcotic, angsty. So all these things have a very Saturnine flavor to them. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and they were saying, too, that the guitar solos had shifted, mm -hmm, right? It mm -hmm. went from less of the look at me showing off guitar solo mm -hmm. to how does this guitar serve the piece of music? Exactly. And that's part of that energy as well. Exactly. And I think there was an intentional shift. Well, maybe not intentional at first, but in 1985, around then, the Melvins started slowing down their playing. And mm -hmm. kind of as a, I think there was uh, music that wasn't received well because it was slow and said, oh, we'll just take it and actually use that and right. own it. And that became one of the signatures. So again, Saturn, this kind of slowness, this kind of drawn out, staticky, unclear kind of nature comes out. Uh -huh. yeah. And then at the same time, you had punk music moving in, right? So Black yeah. Flag was touring the exactly. U.S. as well. Exactly. I think that was in 84. Yeah. So really fascinating. Was there any conjunctions that were also, I'm, I'm sure there was. Yeah, the, well, there's <laughs> one other really important thing when we look at the outer planets, and that's the conjunction of Uranus and Neptune. And that happens only once every 171 years. So it's quite rare. The last time before the grunge period was in, 1821. And so we have two planets, Uranus, which has to do with sudden change and disorder, an iconoclastic planet, with Neptune, a dreamy, psychedelic planet of breakdown and breakthrough. So those two meeting in the sky, uh, they met in Capricorn uh, with Saturn in uh, the end of 1988, and they were there until around February 1991. And so that's that kind of combination of Saturn in its own sign, Capricorn also has this kind of uh, heavy energy of death and transformation. Mm. Uh, so you have that energy there with Uranus, with Neptune, the, all these kind of changes and psychedelic visions all together. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big party. Definitely. <laughs> now, isn't Capricorn also, the energy of Capricorn is more militant and structured? It can be, but it can also be like... Uh, you know, it's kind of like the goth energy of like identifying with death and like looking at death and that mm. sort of thing, like really peering at it, uh, getting to the small granular details of things and the way that 
insects will decompose something mm-hmm. to then bring new life to things. So I feel like that's kind of the the one of the parallels with all these musical styles. It's like getting into these almost like distorting the sound to these granular levels to get to that sort of um, that darkness that can transform us. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Just down to the seed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. And so I'm, I wanted to ask you, why do you suppose Seattle was the birthplace for grunge? It's mm. a good question. I feel like one of the things I've read the most is the isolation. Again, a Saturnine mm-hmm. theme that isolation uh, all the other rock bands at the time were touring up and down the West Coast, the East Coast, but Seattle was kind of out of the way. It was kind of a farming, logging sort of place, and so people didn't make it that far. And so because of that isolation, you had you know all of these collective energies were being channeled in a way that was in some ways untainted or more pure, to say it that way, uh, just experimenting out in the woods, you know, mm-hmm. in... Aberdeen and Seattle. And <laughs> kind of that dark <laughs> well that you were talking exactly. about. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, you know, the Northwest can have that sort of energy around it, yes. too, especially in the winter. You're surrounded by water, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. It's dark. So it kind of it's easy to tap into those things. So I feel like with that influence and the planetary factors, it just kind of led to that. And it was interesting for me. I think Nirvana actually sounded way better mm-hmm. here in Seattle than mm-hmm. it did back home in Chicago. Interesting. <laughs> it needed that rain and That's that gray. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and curious, how old were you during this whole grunge era? Well, I was being born at the same time. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, yeah, I was born with Saturn and Capricorn in '89. So it's okay. kind of yeah. And what was the first grunge band then that you heard? Well, definitely growing up visiting family in Mexico. All my all of my cousins listened to Nirvana, so that was definitely my first introduction to it. And, you know, yeah. in the '90s and early 2000s, and I feel like it got there. I think it got there at the same time, but also definitely stayed longer. Stayed longer. Yeah. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's discuss some of the astrological congruence that mm-hmm. many of these amazing Seattle bands, like Soundgarden, which mm-hmm. what formed in '84, mm-hmm. Nirvana in '87, and mm-hmm. Pearl Jam formed in 1990. Right. What was going on with, what was this common commonality with all of these bands? Yeah, so if we look at Saturn, it started with all of this, it started in Scorpio, and then it went to Pisces. So I feel like Saturn in a water sign is the one of the commonalities for these kind of peaks in the development of grunge. And so if we look at Saturn in Pisces, that's one of the native placements uh, for basically all the main leaders of the grunge bands. So we have Eddie Vedder, Kurt Kurt Cobain, Dave Grohl, Chris Cornell, they all have this placement. So anybody born between March 23rd, 1964 and March 3rd, 1967 have that. And uh, it became influential uh, the 27, 28 years after uh, because that's the time it takes for Saturn to make a full cycle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can you explain that a little bit more about the return? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So uh, any planet returns, um, it, it means that it goes back to the same place that it was in the sky when you were born. Uh, based on the zodiac sign. So because Saturn is very slow, it moves every two and a half years to a new sign. And so it takes about 30 years to do the whole 12 signs. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, can we talk about what was going on in Chris Cornell's chart, especially when he died May 18th, 2017? Yeah, Chris Cornell is an interesting case because we do have a birthday for him. So we have the 20th of July, 1964, but we don't have a clear timing. And so I went around and there's a technique called rectification. It's just taking events and qualities of the person and seeing how they reflect on the chart. Oh, and working so, backwards. Exactly. Awesome. Detective work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Astro detective work. Astro detective. Exactly. <laughs> and so I've looked and right now my my thought is that he was born between 652 35 seconds p.m. Uh, between then and 707 and 18 seconds p.m. in Seattle, Washington on that day. Uh, And if we do that, we can look at the transit, meaning the planetary alignments on the day when he passed. Uh, We see that what's really interesting is we have Saturn, again, our planet of death, of decline, right on his ascendant. And the ascendant marks the point that's the most um, emblematic, the most symbolic of you as a person. It's where the sky and the earth are meeting when you're born. Mm. And so when when a planet's right over the ascendant, it can have a strong, uh, powerful effect. And so Saturn was there, unfortunately. Uh, His moon is also in the same sign of Sagittarius uh, as his ascendant. 
And so when the moon is there and Saturn is passing over the moon, there can be this kind of mental heaviness, uh, depression, that sort of thing can be easily felt. So anytime that Saturn is going over the moon, as was happening with him, that can come up. And we also have, uh, we have Mars was exactly opposite his moon. And oppositions between Mars and other planets, there tends to be an element of violence. There tends mm -hmm. to be an element of suddenness. The moon has to do with the mind, but also the body and the wellness of the body. So having those things all triggered, especially the Saturn right on the ascendant, the moon right across from uh, Mars, and just activating all those things, all spell having violence uh, that comes from sort of some sort of really difficult mental state. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I would imagine in his chart you would be able to see the patterns of depression and that he was just really trying to hold on. Yeah, exactly. Now, what about Kurt Cobain? So he died April 5th, 1994. And again, he was only 27 years old. I know. Yeah. So with Kurt Cobain, we had a we had Mars also showing up. But this is a different configuration uh, showing the time when he passed. Uh, I believe they report on official documents that it was at seven o'clock on the 5th when mm -hmm. they found when, when the when basically he passed away. And uh, at that time, we have Mars is on the descendant. Uh, Mars is, again, like we said, violence and kind of sudden acts of violence. And it's right on the same degree almost with Mercury. So these two planets, Mercury rules his ascendant because he was a Virgo rising. And so anytime you have anything that's personal being affected by Mars, it's kind of this violence for that person. could be an accident or something like that showing up. So we have those things happening um, we have the sun, which is an Aries that's so transiting in this eighth house of of uh, loss and often death, and it's an Aries, and Aries has to do with the head, with uh, you know, in Aries eighth house sun, kind of like damage to the head. It's an interesting correlation. Interesting. There. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have all these kind of factors, especially the descendant. It's like the western horizon. It's like things are declining. And he also had a fourth house activation, fourth house having also some resonance with death. So all these factors, astrology always layers. The more factors we have, the more testimony for a certain event. And so in this case, it's all these things pointing to a decline. Yeah. And so what was his, so he was primarily, he had Pisces in a lot of his. Yeah. He was definitely looking back, not just at the time of his death, but if we look at overall his pattern, yeah. He was about as Pisces as you can get. He had uh, Saturn, Venus, Mercury, the Sun, all in Pisces. So, uh, and, and he also had a grand water trine, which means when planets are in all three water signs. So he had the Moon, and he had Jupiter in Cancer, and he had uh, Mars and Neptune in Scorpio. So a lot of water means a lot of emotions, a lot of emotional intelligence right. and that capacity to turn it into something beautiful like music, but at the same time, an easy time to feel overwhelmed by all that. And then also at the time of his death, or mm -hmm. it was just when Saturn was, what, returning to Pisces, was that in 93? Exactly. Like Saturn, when he passed away, Saturn was right, had just gone over his son, and anytime the sun and Saturn are in the same sign. There can be this kind of agnoia is the Greek word they use, this kind of lack of knowing, not sure what to do, especially the sun, the sun is the soul and direction in life. So there can be this really like, what am I here for? Mm. This is all happening in the seventh house of relationships. So it kind of like, do yeah, I matter to people? That was tumultuous. Yeah, he yeah. Had, because he had such a loaded seventh house, having Saturn go through that sign was definitely triggering all of these different things. Mm -hmm. But Definitely the first planet to be affected uh, in early 93 would have been the sun. And so that direction in life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was interesting. He was part of the, he's part of the 27 club. Yeah. And I remember reading an article where his mom was saying, I told him not to join that club and he I joined know, that club. I know. So can you tell us more about the 27 club, which included, you know, for those that don't know, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, even... Amy Winehouse, all dying at the age of 27. Mm -hmm. And what can you offer some astrological or Vedic insight into that? Yeah, so it's interesting because it, it's not always the one thing that triggers it, but Saturn definitely has a strong say because, like I said, about every 28 or 30 years, it goes back to the same place when, it, the same placement as your natal, was when you were born. 
the moon also, there's a thing called the progressed moon, which means the moon goes back to the same sort of cycle as when you were born. So there's a, some, a, a resonance, and those two planets have a lot to do with mental states and the movement of energy through the body. And so both of them uh, coming back to the natal place is kind of like a threshold for new things, new challenges, but it can also be difficult for some people. Uh, the other couple of things that we see kind of activated with people in the 27 Club which uh, also Janis Joplin was in that um, yeah. among those people uh, is difficulty with the moon that's already you know what we call afflicted so in a, in a difficult house or in a difficult sign a Saturn that's pretty harsh like something that's you know a Saturn that's maybe in a sign it doesn't like to be or a Saturn during the nighttime is a little harder to work with hmm. as well as the nodes the north and south node which are the eclipsing points for the sun and the moon if the sun and the moon which have to do with vitality and life are eclipsed, there's this kind of waning of life force that happens. And so there's more of a threat to life during those periods. And so in the charts of these 27 club members, usually one of these three things is happening, either the moon, Saturn, or the nodes are activating something. Um, and the other interesting thing is uh, from one Vedic astrologer by the name of Visti Larson. He talked about how when the moon is in the 12th house uh, in what's called the ninth divisional chart, which is just one way of analyzing the birth chart, uh, people have the moon in this placement. And it's uh, in that chart, the 12th house has to do with the mystical, with God, with source. And so there's this idea that the planet signified there uh, indicates the activity that brings you closer to God. And often in that house, in the 12th house of the divisional ninth, ninth divisional chart, there's this quality of the more you do that thing, the closer it brings you to God. The closer people feel transcendence when they listen to you if you're a singer. Yeah. And so it's like... Idolize you yeah, as if you were a God. Exactly. Uh -huh. They're like something, you're channeling something and people don't know why, but they can't stop listening. They're drawn. Exactly. Absolutely. And so the unfortunate part with the people, I'd say probably not all of the members of the habit, but some of them do. I feel like Amy Winehouse, looking at her chart, seems like that's their placement and um, just kind of fine-tuning her birth time. And uh, yeah, these people, it's something where it's like they can probably feel it too. Amy talked about how she's like, I don't want to die at 27, but she you know, was 25, 26 when she said that, and she could she feel knew. it. She knew, and it's this kind of, you know, of course, addiction and other problems are happening, but... In the same time, astrologically, there's this kind of closeness to spirit and to the spirit world that's, you know, drawing people near to death. Wow. And so as they're doing that, they are then leaving their life and their body. Exactly. It's like it's this is the transcendent, like the, the great transcendence back to the great undifferentiated everything. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the weekly skinny up next and more love from the hip. On this weekly skinny, I would like to discuss mole placements. Did you know that according to many astrologers, the placement of a mole on our bodies can actually reveal deeper insight into our personality? Several astrologers even say that some moles are connected to a planetary moment, suggesting that the mole formed in the fetal stage on the child's body is based on the position of the planet at the time. So what do some of these moles mean? Well, let's start with the significance of moles on our face and neck. And let's begin with the forehead. A mole in the center of the forehead means you tend to be calm and also wise. A mole on the right side of the forehead implies an acquisition of wealth, whereas on the left, it implies that you are more selfish and may suffer some financial loss. Let's move to the moles on the eyebrows. In the middle of the eyebrows suggests strong leadership qualities. A mole on the left side of the eyebrow means that you can be a coward and might have to face professional issues. A mole on the right side of the eyebrow is a sign of romance and a blissful marriage. What about moles on the eyes? A mole on the left eye signifies arrogant behavior and pessimism, while on the right it is a sign of an honest and hardworking person. People will trust who you are. How about the moles on the nose? A mole on the tip of the nose means that you are impulsive and behave without thinking. A mole on the right side of the nose implies that you will acquire wealth with minimal struggle, while on the left it means you will have to struggle more. A mole below the nose is a sign of sensuality and is said to make you more attractive. And moles on the cheeks? Well, a mole on the right cheek means you make better decisions and do well in life. A mole on the left cheek means you tend to be an introvert who spends extra money on material things. 
Curiously, moles on any part of the ear is said to be an indication of a luxurious lifestyle. Moles on any part of the lips means you have good taste in food and could even be a foodie. But you can also have issues with overeating and be prone to obesity. Moles on the chin imply that you love to travel. A mole on the right side of the chin means that you are very logical, and on the left, it implies that you are honest and loyal. And let's finish up on the neck. A mole on the front side of your neck means that you are a bearer of good luck and could have great speaking skills as well. A mole on the back of your neck implies that you could be a bit aggressive and find it hard to control your anger. Of course, this information isn't meant for you to excuse your behavior through your moles, but rather to give you yet another unique way of understanding who you are. Has your life been interrupted? Has the carpet been pulled out from under you? Have you had to pivot, start something new, start over from scratch, or create something completely new? You're not alone. Come hear stories of others just like you. It's a brand new podcast called Interrupted Act Two, Reinventing Your Legacy with Coach Lori on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just tuning in, I am chatting with David Harmon all about the very reason I moved to Seattle, grunge. <laughs> so let's talk about what is astrologically happening right now. Yeah, so as we talk about Saturn, it's interesting because just in these days, uh, Saturn has gone from moving what's called direct, meaning in the motion uh, that it usually goes, and to stationing, which is when they stop, the planets stop, and then after that they look like they're going backwards in the sky relative to how they usually travel. So right now we're in a time when Saturn is stationing in the sky. It's like an exclamation point wherever it is in your chart, especially if it's activated through other means, um, if it's the Lord of the year or of the month for you, which are some of the techniques I use when I read charts. Basically, that means that Saturn will show up more strongly. And so because it's such a slow planet, it's almost like a freight train coming to a stop. And so it's kind of the impact is also greater than some of the slower moving planet or the faster planets like Mercury, which goes yeah. retrograde maybe two, two or three times a year. Uh, Saturn retrograde, it lasts a lot longer, but it, it definitely that impact point of it slowing down uh, tends to be quite significant. The other big thing we're having, uh, and that started, yeah, about last week, and it'll be a few weeks until the Saturn starts to pick up speed going retrograde. Uh, the other big thing we have this summer is uh, Venus going retrograde, and that's uh, going to affect mostly people who, it'll affect in Leo because it's happening in the sign of Leo, Basically, until September, October, we have Venus going through that sign. And so uh, those two are the main kind of significant things we have happening right now. And so who would be impacted the most? Yeah, definitely Saturn will impact people who have Pisces placements. So sun, moon, rising sign and Pisces will be impacted. Uh, and so that's, uh, yeah, it can be, like we said, with uh, Kurt Cobain, with the sun and Pisces, Saturn going over your uh, over your sun can be a bit like, what am I doing with my life? Kind of this crisis of identity sometimes. Over the moon, it can be this kind of heaviness of the mind, this uh, sometimes tendency towards depression or just not feeling like, you no know, like life is going well, but you don't feel like it, it mm -hmm. doesn't taste good. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, the rising sign, it can be uh, sometimes Saturn on the rising can bring that sort of heaviness to the body as well. So some sort of like sometimes chronic illnesses can show up. Um, yeah. But it all depends also on how your Saturn is placed. So Saturn sometimes can be passing over your ascendant. And uh, if you have a good, strong Saturn in the daytime, for example, in a good house, it might just mean like getting elevation from people of power, of elders. So there's a lot of layers. So yeah. Don't be scared if Saturn's going over. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Venus? Who would that affect? Venus is going to affect people who have um, Leo rising and prominent Leo placements, including anybody with a fixed sign. So Leo, Aquarius, Taurus, Scorpio risings are going to feel it the most. Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, I think we have our first caller on the line. We've got Jeanette. Jeanette Dames, are you there? Yep. Hi, Jeanette. And, Hi, Jeanette. and so I just wanted to repeat this. Your your sun is Aquarius, your moon is Capricorn, and your rising is Scorpio. Correct. All right. So 
Yeah. So uh, talking about Saturn, talking about Venus, we'll look at where those are in your chart and maybe what that uh, is affecting and how it might show up for you. Um, so if we're talking about Saturn, Saturn is stationing in Pisces, which is your fifth house, since Scorpio is your ascendant. Uh, Saturn in the fifth house, fifth house has to do with creativity, with projects. So there can be partially like a slowing down, a reconsidering of new creative projects that you're take that you've taken on. Uh, retrograde times, like Saturn is starting to embark on, are good for that reflection and uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe laying the foundations for creative projects to continue to be stronger over time. And so it might be like the taking stock of what you have, cutting away what doesn't help, and then, you know, replanting or continuing with the parts that do. So that's the fifth house uh, sort of theme of Saturn in Pisces. I think for you, though, the, uh, the thing that's interesting is the Venus transiting Leo. Leo is your midheaven uh the top of your of the sky, so it's about how people see you, your public image. There's uh, Venus going back and forth through Leo this summer is a good time for rebranding, uh, for reevaluating value, how you see value for yourself and how others see the value in you versus, especially like in a sort of uh, professional capacity. So those themes are very alive. I'd say especially the Venus, uh, the Venus and Leo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for well, calling. That gives, me, that gives me all the validation that I needed for everything that was going through my mind today. Is it possible to ask for some for someone who can't call in? Yeah, yeah. If I have yeah, her sign? Sure. Definitely, yeah. Okay. It's it's my friend Amy. Uh-huh. And her um, sun sign is Aries. Her moon is Scorpio. And her rising sign is Cancer. Okay. So we just shifted a bit the chart, and so we have uh, Cancer rising. Then that would put a flavor of this uh, Saturn transit happening in her eighth house. So eighth house, uh, of course, all this, all this. If there's other planets in that house, it'll activate them as well. But just by itself, Saturn in the eighth house can have to do with. Uh, inheritance and debts and kind of decline of things. And so sometimes when Saturn's going through here, um, if it's a positive planet, it can be like that sort of inheriting things from people, whether that's uh, money or projects or some sort of legacy. Uh, it can also bring, uh, it's it's good to be more careful of mental health during Saturn in the eighth house because Saturn has that kind of melancholy tendency and the eighth house it's just a place where things can start to be a little, it's like the, it's like the sunset time. So it's good to be careful and uh, have good allies on your side to help with mental health. Um, okay. Yeah. And then as for Leo, for a cancer sign, that's a second house uh, from the ascendant. And so this is, a, again, this idea of, of value instead of in a, in a public capacity, this is more like the value that you have and how you store it reevaluating what those things are. You know, it's uh, metaphorically and literally reassessing your portfolio. Are you investing your time and energy the way you want to be? Is there something that wants to change, especially through this time, if there's any relationship that has Venus, the significator for relationship, in the sign of, of uh, Leo? It's, you know, like, is it shining light on you, on your life, to have this relationship continue, or is it something that you're ready to let go? And so... It could be a temporary separation, but at least it gives you insight and perspective to see if something is bringing you value or not. Okay, wonderful. That's very helpful. Thank you so much, David. We really, really appreciate you and all that you do. Oh, thank, thank you, Jeanette. You. You're so welcome. All right. Well, let's go to our next caller. We've got Christine on the line. Christine, are you there? I am here. Hi, Christine. So Hi, I've, I, <laughs> I'm understanding that your son is in cancer. Your moon is in Pisces, and your rising is in Libra. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So David's going to look at his little magic chart over here. <laughs> Hi, David. Hey, how are you? <laughs> how are you, Christine? Very good. Very excited. <laughs> good. All right. So we have a rising sign Libra. This puts, uh, let's see. So we have rising sign Libra. 
Then you have your, uh, let's see, one, two, okay, good. So talking about Saturn and, and uh, the moon is the main thing, I think, for you, because the moon is being passed over by Saturn during this time. Um, it depends on where your moon is. I don't know if it's an earlier degree or later degree, because Saturn this year won't be moving except in the first seven degrees or so uh, of the of the sign of Pisces. So sometime either this year or next year, the moon being transited by Saturn, the moon passing over uh, by Saturn, can have, again, this just being careful of the mental state. Uh, and we'll talk about ways we can work with that as well later on in the show. Uh, but that's the biggest thing, I think, just based on your placements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I hope that helps you, Christine. Well... Can it come? Can can the Saturn return come a little early? <laughs> yeah, Saturn return can be. Uh, Saturn return happens when you're about twenty-eight to thirty, and then again around fifty-eight to sixty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're right on schedule. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, All thank right. you so much. You're Thanks so for welcome. Calling. All okay. right. And with that, we're going to go out to another break. But don't go anywhere. Love from the hip. We'll be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Mystic Journeys invites you to an innovative nine-day spiritual retreat in the heart of Tulum, Mexico. Join them this fall from November 9th to November 17th, 2023 for a unique blend of guided tours and spiritual workshops. From the beachside villa, they'll explore the ancient ruins and stunning beauty of the Mayan Riviera. In their workshops, expert facilitators will help you develop your spiritual gifts, increase your vitality, and invite synchronicity into your life. Learn how to embody Qigong, astrology, seven sacred flame meditation, sound healing, and ancestral indigenous teachings from a local spiritual elder. Space is limited to 12 participants. To see the full itinerary and apply, visit harmonhealing.com. That's H-A-R-M-O-N healing.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, the lovely David Harmon has returned to give us his astrological insight on the grunge era and more. So, David, I feel like I'm a perfect example of what's happening. Like, I'm really affected right now. Yeah, you get all the marks (laughs) right now. So you have the Leo rising and you have your sun in Pisces. And so these two are what we were just talking about before the break. So we have... uh, you know the rising sign, your identity, how you how how you are as a person. Uh, Venus is giving you an opportunity for redefining that, up leveling that, and you know, again this pairing away things that don't help you, mm. and then coming into a new relationship with uh, self worth, self value. 
And uh, Sun in Pisces, again, this kind of uh, Saturn moving over Sun in Pisces, especially because you have it in the first three degrees of the sign. And, you know, right now Saturn went up to about seven, eight degrees in Pisces. It'll go back down. And so you'll have a couple of rounds of Saturn. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it just... uh, Taking measures so that you can preserve your sense of um, of your soul, of your yeah. goals, of your identity that way. Okay. Yeah. And so what are some things we can all do to balance out Saturn's energy? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we work with a planet that's somehow difficult, there's two main ways to work with it. One of, the, one of those ways uh, is to give what's called planetary charity. And so that's the idea of uh, you're saying, hey, you're a planet that's affecting me this way, and I'm helping out the people that you are associated with. And so if you give people, Saturn's people include people who are on the fringe, people who uh, don't have homes, mm-hmm. who have difficulty time, the poor uh, workers in general. So if you were to give a donation to like a labor union, to a homeless shelter, something like that, it'll help kind of... S- Saturn will see that happening and say, oh, okay, like you're being good to my it's like people. like a sacrifice. Yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, well, you, okay, <laughs> you, there's some, some resonance. You're, you're paying attention to my people. I'll go a little easier on you. Okay. <laughs> That's one way. The other way, when you're dealing specifically with Saturn, uh, all the planets that are heavier or have more difficult times have a counterbalance. And so the sun is the remedy. So doing things that resonate with the sun is a helpful thing. So working with... Um, Working with uh, gold, for example, wearing gold, doing things like sun salutations and mm-hmm. yoga, uh, qigong that has to do with golden light, that sort of thing can really help with bringing that balance so the heaviness and darkness of Saturn is uplifted by the, the clarity. The sun knows it's the, it's the spiritual you know, father. It's the kind of the openness of consciousness, so yeah. clarity. All yeah. right. And yeah. what about solar oils then? Yeah. That- so when we had the sun in Aries recently, earlier this year, I made a solar oil that's helpful for the structure of the body as well as kind of helping realign these types of things. So um, I'll have that up on my website soon. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm playing with it and it gives good results for like kind of regulating. It's kind of like uh, if you're tired, you get, you know, sleepy and you rest yeah. and if you need energy it kind of uh, adaptogenically helps your body so nice yeah. yes I need some of that yes <laughs> <laughs> now since we touched on it what can we also do to help us heal depression and mm-hmm. anxiety which so many of the musicians we talked about yes experience. definitely um, from the work I do definitely doing things like acupuncture uh, whether in person or working with the channels from a distance which is something I specialize in is really helpful uh, and I feel like when it comes to the channels, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs tend to be very affected. Of course, the heart. So the, some of the organs tend to be, there's patterns that I can help you tune into and then we can help adjust. Uh, and so really like helping the body on that energetic level can be really key, especially for those types of things where you're like, I'm not mm-hmm. not unwell. Like my doctor says I'm fine, but I don't feel good. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, what do you think we can expect for the Saturn's return in Pisces? Or maybe what we're experiencing already. Yeah, so, I mean, the crazy thing happening with that submersible and uh, the Titanic and everything. Oh, yeah. That's one thing that's like, you know, getting lost at sea. That's very Saturn and Pisces. But on a lighter and like, you know, more positive note, we have, again, like music from the grunge era is kind of resurfacing yet again. Yes. We had a memorial, uh, we had a recognition uh, at the Grammys for Nirvana this past 2023 uh, award season. And uh, I believe that Chris Cornell's uh, estate is letting Soundgarden release some of the songs that they had, uh, the last songs that weren't released before. They finally reached an agreement, and so that's resurfacing. As well as back in the the time in the 90s, 80s, 90s, but especially that Saturn and Pisces 90s time, we had, uh, you know, hip-hop came up, you know, all these <laughs> notorious B.I.G. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of really good artists yeah. were coming up. Uh, and then, you know, in general, Saturn in Pisces tends to be a good music scene. So, you know, the Cranberries, we had the Neutral Milk Hotel, yeah. like all these alt-rock sort of bands also came up. So I feel like it's a good time in the next couple of years, between now and 2025, to see what new music will be inspired. New amazing music. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So can how can the planetary energy also affect our business? Yeah, so the time that you incorporate a business or you start something that's that affects uh, the trajectory, just like a birth chart of a person. So timing things is important. And uh, if we look at the chart of a business or some sort of new project, we can also 
get a sense of the transits and how the planets will change and express their uh, their way through the life of that business. Yeah, and does yeah. that also apply then if you're trying to interview for a, a new job? Definitely. Or, or get a promotion? One of the strong points of astrology is finding the right time for doing things. So starting, moving into a new house, starting yeah. a new job, all those things. Yeah. Awesome. Well, how can my listeners book a session with you and learn more about you and your upcoming retreat? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so you can find me at my website, uh, harmonhealing.com. That's H-A-R-M-O-N healing.com. I'm also on, on social media with the same handle on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, and so that's one way to reach uh, and be in touch with me. And uh, the retreat we're having is going to be in November. Yeah, is there uh, still time to sign there's up? There's still time to sign up. We have until August to sign up. And it's in no- November where? November in Tulum, Mexico. We're going to have uh, four facilitators, including uh, very experienced energy healers. I'll be there doing astrology, qigong. Uh, we'll be doing Tibetan Buddhist meditations. We'll be doing sound healing in the cenotes, in the underwater and underground water chambers. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have uh, indigenous teachings with elders who are local, and so it'll be all these things in service of increasing your intuition, increasing your relationship with synchronicity and spirit, and just living a mystical life that's uh, you know hand in hand with the practical aspects of every day so (laughs) it sounds beautiful thank you (laughs) all right well thank you again for being here today and sharing all of your wisdom thank you so much thanks for having me it's always a pleasure great and thank you eric my amazing brilliant producer you the listener kknw and cape town zone radio you can find me at sakurasutter.com and tune in next wednesday for another episode of love from the hip presents the conscious coaching hour Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. Mystic Journeys invites you to an innovative nine-day spiritual retreat in the heart of Tulum, Mexico. Join them this fall from November 9th to November 17th, 2023, for a unique blend of guided tours and spiritual workshops. From the beachside villa, they'll explore the ancient ruins and stunning beauty of the Mayan Riviera. In their workshops, expert facilitators will help you develop your spiritual gifts, increase your vitality, and invite synchronicity into your life. Learn how to embody Qigong, astrology, seven sacred flame meditation, sound healing, and ancestral indigenous teachings from a local spiritual elder. Space is limited to 12 participants. To see the full itinerary and apply, visit harmonhealing.com. That's H-A-R-M-O-N healing.com.